So now it's a matter of us pulling it all together to light the whole joint and, and putting on what I think will be a brilliant showcase for the sport. Yeah, we'll be honest with ourselves next week, as usual, and say, OK, it's a stonking result, but what could we have done better? Finding that passion for racing again. You know, stop looking at it like my job and, and go back to just doing it because I love racing cars and I love competing and that's really what's changed this year. Hi everyone, welcome to Inside Supercars. Shane Van Gisbergen from the Red Bull Holden Racing Team here. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Gravel. We're getting ready. We've got one more weekend before Townsville rolls around. The uh, team's no doubt enjoying a, a break from uh, having the cars in their workshop, although those in Queensland probably working pretty hard to get theirs turned around. Um... Some interesting racing up in uh, Darwin. What has been interesting is that we see now that Dave Reynolds, who really loves that Darwin track, is beating almost all of the Mustangs. Whether that was from the aero changes or, or not, you might ask the question, but he certainly was uh, on the podium both days and waving the Holden flag. Indeed, and, and of course that uh, last change to the ZB with a uh, change to the front under tray and the rear wing being dropped. Um, it didn't appear to impact uh, many. Um, it certainly showed yet again that Erebus seemed to adapt better than most um, with uh, David and uh, Anton both qualifying their cars well as well, and then David backing that up with twin podiums. Um, it's certainly interesting to, to see the ongoing work uh, where there are still more questions and answers to that whole issue of that change and we'll still be continuing to find out what we can about it. Um, interesting to see that there's growing momentum behind this uh, reduced aero, Craig, um, first mooted by Ryan Walkinshaw or somebody else. No, I think Ryan Walkinshaw's put it back on the agenda. He started the conversation on the... Uh, uh, what is it, Below the Bonnet podcast, and then has uh, followed up his comments to uh, Tom Howard at Speed Cafe. So it, it, there is some quarters that say reduce the aero. There's other quarters that say that would ruin the racing. So you, you've really got that people who are at polar opposites. And, uh, yeah, you don't always know the motives of why they're at polar opposites too because you must take that into account. But... For many, many years, people have said if you reduce the aero, open up the braking distance, i.e. instead of braking at uh, 75 metres, say you have to start your braking at 125 metres, and if someone else is a better braker and can control the car uh, better, then they might try the braking manoeuvre at 100 metres, which would then allow them to make the pass. It all comes down to how can you open up passing opportunities because the uh, simple fact is the racetrack isn't going to provide better racing it has to be through how the cars handled like if you made the cars seven eighths of the size they are now would that make more racing they won't be as wide they won't be as long would that mean that you you know like you have aussie racing cars they seem to race pretty well they've got minimal aero and there's hundreds of them on the track all dicing for a position because they've got you know big big disparities between the abilities of braking markers nowadays you haven't got a big disparity between your best driver and your worst driver and you haven't got a big disparity between the quality of the components 
in the first car to the last car on the grid. You're just proposing we have some more smoky eunuchs in the uh, paddock, aren't you? You know, all making three-quarter size cars, yes. <laughs> well, that wasn't my point, but um, uh, the question yes, would be, know, is, uh, is there any smoky eunuchs out there? Because uh, you, <laughs> you'd wonder uh, if... If there are, if there is a smoky unique engineer out there, he's not doing a real good job of it. A couple other developments. Um, one, of course, uh, was inevitable at this time of year. There'll be people looking around because Brighty has uh, thrown his hat into the ring saying he will have to be getting rid of his wreck, his racing entitlement contract, currently used by Matt Stone for Todd Hazelwood. Um, they've been with him for the last two years and obviously he has to go at the end of this year, so... That's the opportunity, the possibility that Matt Stone may uh, purchase that. Um, the other development for Townsville is um, trialling some LED lights. They've been used for a number of years in Indy cars. In fact, I saw them on the cars when I was there in 2015, I think. Yes, it would have been. Um, they've been in Indy cars and LMP. So this just makes it that much easier for the public to see and note uh, who's in what position, things like that. Because they don't use the LEDs just for car numbers. They use them actually to show dry, uh, the status of that driver, where he is in the race. Mm. And so when they're in a pit stop, it actually uh, it actually clicks over and runs stop time in the pit stop. So, you know, it, it can hold a, a multitude of... Um, a multitude of of uh, functions if it's programmed such. Andrew Van Leeuwen has reported on motorsport.com about the Bathurst event. The Bathurst Council looking for a fifth event and that it's being uh, put forward by supercars that uh, it be a, uh, a hill climb um, which would probably be reverse up through the S's I think is normally what they run uh, along with the Motorsport Festival. Supercars, this will be the fifth event on Mount Panorama. Um, an interesting one. My own view would be it would be terrific if uh, the TCR was to become that fifth event because I think that would give far more international coverage um, to uh, to that uh, race than uh, a motorsport festival, which might be interesting, but it, I don't think internationally people would be watching it. But that's one of those interesting things. So news from outside Australia, of course, we had Van Gisbergen racing in Australian GTs and Suzuka, unfortunately unsuccessfully. Um, That was a DNF for that uh, Mercedes, I believe it would have been, uh, Craig? Yes, if I've read uh, the reports right, it was, and uh, it certainly had a a three-pointed star on the front of the bonnet, the car that he was driving, but... Unfortunately, even though he showed plenty of pace, he didn't get the chocolates on that occasion. Andre Heimgardner. Somebody else getting into a. uh... Andre Heimgardner was overseas as well. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Jamie Wincup, in one of his uh, uh, unusual events, he's actually getting back into a GT3, the one he ran at Phillip Island in the endurance event down there with Yasser Shahin. Uh, run by Scott Taylor Motorsport and AMG GT3. So that's uh, for Couchy on the weekend of the 12th and 13th, I think, something like that in July. So that'd be the week after uh, Townsville. Um, Jamie Winkup back in a, a GT3. So there's a few things happening around, but uh, one of the highlights for this week is a, a nice long interview that we uh, take you through the life of 
David Couchy, who is the engineer, race engineer on Jamie Wincup's car, been with him for the last few years, took over from Mark Dutton, who moved up into the team manager's role. David uh, gave us a good insight into how he got to where he is and what he did to get there. Fascinating introduction to uh, his life and uh, what he's been doing in recent years. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy listening to David, and he also explains the life of a data engineer, which I found fascinating as well. Okay, after the break, it's over to David Couchy. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news, and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates that tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske. And you're on Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Rickard, Craig Lavelle, and we're talking here with a race engineer who's been at uh, the top of his game and the top of his driver's game and team for the last few years, David Couchy. David, welcome on board. It's good to have you on Inside Supercars. Yeah, good to be here and have a chat. Thanks, guys. It's been a very interesting year. I mean, I'm sure that the interest uh, is beyond just, uh, well, this is an academic thing, this is performance. I'm, I'm sure you're not paid by the race result. You have a, uh, a set package and therefore it's not, your life is not intrinsically involved in getting to every podium. But, you know, the team obviously operates in that high-end area. It, it must be an enormous workload to actually, you know, I mean, Triple Eight has never been known as a bunch of slackers. You guys have actually put in very heavily and it must be incredibly disheartening sort of when you're not seeing the results coming yeah definitely um yeah as, as you said like triple eight we're um you know we've got a very deep deep history in this sport and and have done a lot of winning um in our in our history um so therefore and there's, there's a very high expectation we have some very high profile sponsors and there's a very um deep internal culture of, of winning so that's something that uh, obviously we want to uh, make sure we keep continuing so yeah look it has been a tough year um but look, you, these things happen, and we have been in this position before, where another team has, has come along and started outperforming us, um, and we've always managed to um, to dig our way out of it um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, I, you know, I have to say that the bar this time is very, very high, and, and particularly Penske are doing an exceptional job um, with uh, with the car they have this year. So, you know, we're going to have to to leave absolutely nothing on the table if we want to catch them. Um, but look, I have the full confidence in the in the team that we have here. There's there's plenty of depth all around the place, um, from engineering to, to mechanics to machinists. Um, everywhere in the company, there's there's some very very talented people, um, and then not to mention the two exceptional drivers that we have. Um, so um, yeah, look, we um, you know we're working hard. We are hurting, but we're going to uh, we're going to keep fighting uh, to the end as we've always done. Your interest, let alone involvement, but your interest in motorsport, where did that start? Um, I didn't really have a, you know, a family history in motorsport. Um, it just started off uh, pretty much watching Bathurst on TV as a, as a young kid. I, I, I remember I always used to get 
really excited on Bathurst, uh, Bathurst Day and wake up early and watch all the warm-up. And now, what, what era are we talking here then? Oh well, uh, I'm I was I'm a 90, uh, 1984 vintage, so um, this mm-hmm. would have been in the sort of uh, late to mid 90s sort of thing um, okay. when I when I would have first started watching. So um, yeah, and and it basically just started from there and and. Um, my, my dad used to take me to um, some speedway events at Parramatta Speedway, and he uh, at one point had a had a friend who was doing some HQ Holden racing, and and we went to a few races, and um, you know because I, I sort of had a I had an interest in um, in motorsport, and it, it built from there, and uh, basically my first sort of real um, taste of supercars was working for um, I did some work experience with. Lansdale Smash Racing, um, uh, in uh, which was in Lidcom at the time, so it's where I met uh, Wally Story, who and a certain bloke called Wally Story, who was a stalwart but no longer in the paddock. He was a champion of yours, and he was the one that uh, that spoke to Roland Dane. I understand at Triple Eight. Yeah, so you know, I, I did, um, I did, uh, I worked, I worked with uh, with Lansdale for a bit. I did some work experience, and then I sort of kept on pestering them basically, and I ended up going to a few race meetings. I then actually become very good friends with um, Wally's son, Rob Story, who yep. is a is a very 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 talented driver um, himself. Who um, unfortunately never never sort of uh, you know got to um, the, the sort of high levels of supercars, but certainly wasn't because of any lack of talent. But uh, we we did some Formula Ford racing. We won the New South Wales State Championship um, with Rob and Wally, and I used to used to travel around with them to, to various race meetings. Um, and then it came the time when I was I was studying at, at university at the University of Technology uh, Sydney, uh, doing a mechanical engineering degree, and um, I was sort of close to my uh, close to finishing. And I, I kept in contact with an, with another gentleman called Gary Bailey, who was already working. He was a number one mechanic at yep. Triple Eight, um, and I, I'd, I'd been in contact with him. And I said, look, if there's anything, uh, if you hear of any jobs going, uh, please keep me in mind. And Sure enough, he uh, he gave me a call one day and said, uh, "We're looking for a young engineer. Um, you should come up for a come up to Brisbane for a for an interview, uh, meet Ludo." So um, I did that, um, and then yeah, Ludo had a chat with Wally, and Wally said, "Yeah, he's worth giving a worth giving him a crack." And sure enough, a couple of days after I finished my last university exam, I was driving up to um, up to Brisbane and. Uh, what eleven, almost twelve years later, I'm um, here. I still am. <laughs> now you did data engineering to start with for the team. Yeah, so initially I was just employed as a as a designer. So I was just in the design okay. office. Um, yeah, designing designing bits and pieces, um, and then that that sort of graduated to doing data for Craig Lowndes' car with with Jeremy Moore. Uh, and then I, I did that for a number of a number of years. Um, uh, and then eventually, um, yeah, started started race engineering, um, and uh, yeah, still do still do a, a joint sort of race engineering and design role, uh, and um, yeah, sort of a few things have changed since then, and a few people have gone, um, come and gone, and uh, yeah, but but I'm still here. David, I'm interested because for someone who's worked in a team on the spanners, you pretty much know you walk in in the morning, you get the spanners out, you plot away on the car until it's ready to go on the on the transporter and then you know you head up and work on the car at the track but what does a data engineer do in his normal day 
back at the workshop. Can you can you talk us through what a, a week might look like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for you know when I was when I was a data engineer, my, my role was sort of um, basically split between um, doing data work and doing um, design work. Um, so these days um, we have we have a few more sort of I would say more specialist sort of data and or, or performance engineers. So the, the biggest thing is um, we, we're trying to look at analyze uh, what sort of what's already happened. So you might be analyzing data from the previous race meeting, which in this case would say would say Winton where we just were. Now that we're heading to Darwin, we'll be re-looking at things that happened at Darwin last year, um, analyzing those sets of data, that set of data. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, hundreds of parameters that you can be looking at. And, and nowadays also uh, we're working on simulations. So simulation is, a, is, is becoming a bigger and bigger part of our sport, so where we can basically simulate um, various setups, looking for trends, um, looking for certain car characteristics, um, and also just general upkeep of the cars themselves. So the cars have um, quite a large number of sensors that it's quite important then that, that all those sensors are functioning correctly um, so that the, the data that we, we collect is, is valid and useful. Um, so there's also a lot of time spent basically just maintaining those systems um, and doing a lot of systems checks um, and various other, other software that we, we run and calculations, whether it be for... Um, fuel, um, all sorts of calibrations for fuel rigs and all these things that, that are, um, are really, really important, you know, and it's, it's difficult because there's, there's so many of them, but all these little things add up and, and if you don't have all those things right before you get to the race meeting, then your life can be very painful when you're sort of, you know, 10 laps to go and you're trying to calculate whether you've got that, that last couple of hundred grams of fuel, um, all that time spent at the workshop, um, checking and calibrating all those things uh, starts to pay back. So there's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very sort of intense job. And then if you throw in some design work, like here at Triple Eight, um, uh, you know, basically all engineers wear multiple hats. Um, so they might be a data engineer on a car, but then they're also working on simulation or um, working on Super 2 cars or GT cars um, or also designing. So... There's um, there's plenty of elements to um, to an engineering job at Triple Eight, which which is what makes it you know very interesting and, and exciting. Are they are you using specialist programs or are you looking at like raw numbers on a spreadsheet? How how are you how, how do you actually go through and because I imagine that with the drivers, high quality drivers, their repeatability of their driving performance is very consistent. So then you're yeah. really looking for outliers or you're looking for something that's going outside the normal reference points yep yeah no no you're spot on i mean we're, we're very lucky here that we we have in terms of our main series main series, talking only about our main series drivers that we have um jamie and shane who are basically the two best drivers that, that you could ask for so yeah a lot of our analysis isn't sort of sort of critiquing the drivers as such because just generally they have they have that bit sorted so we're really analyzing the car and what the car's doing um, in great detail. And, and, and that's a, a combination of things. We're, we're developing our own software in various areas, um, and we have um, numerous spreadsheets to calculate or, or analyse. Um, uh, you know, timing, for example, we have um, timing data from um, each, each circuit has up to sort of nine sectors that we have timing data from. So... Um, there's there's a lot of analysis that goes into analysing those sectors to see not only where 
where we're fast or slow, but to see where our competitors are, uh, are fast or slow. So that then paints a little picture of where our car, the weaknesses and strengths of our car relative to our competitors. Um, we use sort of standard software, which um, is a, a MoTeX software, uh, which is the what we use to do all our data logging. All, all the all supercars use a, a MoTeX data logging system. So we use a, pro, a program called I2, which is a which is an analysis program um, that basically allows us to visualise all the all the raw numbers in graphs and plots and things like that. And we can also export that to, to Excel to do even more in-depth analysis if needed. So it's quite it's quite varied, um, the sort of analysis that, that goes on, on on all the various um, bits of data that we collect at the racetrack. And plus, on top of that, what we then simulate um, before we go to, to a racetrack sort of thing. So, yeah, it's quite, quite in-depth. Are you looking at these pieces of data individually or are you overlaying a shock trace with an engine map with um, with the, the lap times and those reference times over each segment? Is it Are you trying to combine all those things or you have to look at them all individually and then you might find something that you can put together and make a, a suspension decision or an engine decision on? Yeah, uh, it's, it's definitely a combination of the two. Um, sometimes, you know, you, you might be focusing in, in one particular area. I mean, we sort of what, what you have to try to do is is you have to try to understand, um, you know, the areas to look in the car. I mean, the car has a thousand over a thousand parameters that you can change or, or, or parts that you can redesign, or from from suspension geometry to spring rates to damping rates, um, cambers and toes. There's, there's, there's a huge number of variables or, or parameters that you can tune on the car. Now, you, you know, if, if you try to, if you try to tune every single one of them all the time, you'll get very, very, very lost very quickly. So you have to try and choose the, the areas in the car that you think are going to give you the, the most return on investment, you know, and, and also you, you only have a, a limited amount of time as well. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is literally with, with the amount of people we have, it, it is literally impossible to analyse every single piece of data and every single aspect of the of the car. So you, you have to try and be selective and say, look, I don't think that area is important right now. Um, and, and there might be some performance there, but but it's it's not it's not worth my my investment right now. I think this is the area that we need to invest time in, and it, it might be damping, it might be suspension geometry, um, it might be spring rates, it might be... But, and, and obviously all those things, they are interrelated. So it, it is difficult, you, you know, it is difficult to... Certain things you, you cannot analyse purely in isolation because they are influenced by by, by many other, you know, uh, parts of the car. So it is a... It is a it's, a it's, it's a tough thing, and, that, and that's part of the... part of what makes the difference between, I suppose good teams and bad teams is, is that the good teams can hone in on the areas that are most important and that, that give them the most return on investment in terms of in terms of lap time um, and and that's what we try to do we try to we try to focus on the areas that we think are going to make our car um, faster um, at the next race meeting and uh, and that's sort of how, how you try to work but but you're 100 percent right in saying that nothing on the race car um, 
basically works in isolation. Everything everything is influenced by at least one or, or more other, other parameters. That brings up an interesting point because one of the things about the championship that you were involved in that we all have been involved in for some time is the vast differences from track to track now, you know, going from a wet, cold winter where the ambience were almost, and certainly the track was, to one where you're down to T-shirts and shorts. <laughs> yeah. For both you and your driver, you've got a mindset you have to change, don't you? You, you know, I mean, okay, the, you know, when you arrive, obviously you get off a plane and bingo, it hits you in between the eyeballs. But there's a real change in mindset from one track to another, isn't there? Yeah, definitely, um, and, and that also changes depending on on where you um, you know on, on where you are in the championship and how well you're performing um, as a, as a team or, or as an individual car. Um, so yeah, you really have to adjust. And, 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 and as you said, we go from you know our circuits that we go to are extremely varied um, from street circuits like Adelaide, Townsville and uh, Newcastle, you know, or Gold Coast, which are just absolutely brutal on the car and the, the curbs and the, the bumps, uh, you know, most other cars would fall to pieces if they had to race on, on those kind of circuits, um, down to, um, you know, amazing circuits like Bathurst, like Tail and Bend, Phillip Island, you know, ultra sort of, I guess, smooth, high-speed, high-load circuits, uh, high-grip circuits. So, um, you know, and you definitely do um, have to change your approach um, depending on, on which, uh, which circuit you're ending up at and also how, um, you know, how things are going, you know, at the moment, our approach in terms of at the moment because we're looking for, um, you know, we're not quite where we want to be car speed-wise, our approach would certainly be very different to um, if we were, say, you know, 30 points uh, in front or, or behind of the, the leader of the championship. At the moment, we're, we're looking for, for a big chunk of points and we need a big chunk of performance. So our mindset is, is different again. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty, of, um, plenty of factors that, that influence the way you approach a, uh, approach a race weekend. Who sets the direction for what you, your data engineers and what your engineering group is looking for? Is that you being in charge of Jamie's car, or is that Dutto as the overall uh, head of the engineering? Yeah, so um, there's definitely, I mean, there's sort of, I guess, two aspects. Um, you know, we, there, there's an overall um, where do we want to go as a team, um, and that's largely, largely driven by um, Grant McPherson, who's a, a Shane's race engineer, and myself who as the, the two sort of lead race engineers on the on the two Red Bull cars, we sort of drive that that overall um, engineering direction in terms of where we want to go um, with the car setup. Um, we you know we have a we have a very good relationship. We work really closely together, um, which is which is really helpful because we can sort of um, two minds can can achieve more than one. So so we can sort of get to where we want to be quicker. Um, and then and then we, we rely on the sort of support around us to make that happen. So if we need if we need some new parts designed, um, you know, we lean on Ian Drapier, who's our sort of drawing office manager, um, to, to sort of then um, allocate the work out in the design office to um, to make to, to, to design the parts so that we can have them for the next race weekend. Um, you know, so and then you know we'll rely on our. Uh, performance engineers to to analyze um, okay if we if we if we design this part with this you know this kinematic or whatever it might be um, what do we think that's going to do for our you know for our balance or 
or lap time or whatever whatever it might be. Um, so you're basically just pulling on all your different resources within our within our engineering group, um, and then that obviously flows down to the rest of the company. So then we lean on the manufacturing department to make the parts, the subassembly departments to build them and service them, and obviously then the, the car crews to to bolt them in the car and and um, and service them throughout the race weekend. So so that sort of it, it sort of flows from the flows from the engineering department down. And and like I said, we we we're really lucky that we've got you know we've just got really good depth um, all through the all through the business. Um, so it's it is a, it is genuinely a, a real team a real team effort. One of the interesting things in Triple Eight world is that last weekend at, down at Phillip Island for the GTs as well as TCR, I saw Romy. She's uh, working for Scott Taylor's. Yeah. She was doing data with you, uh, and then this year she's moved across to be Kurt uh, Kostecki's. Yep. Yep, yep. Now, does do you in that role? Does she still sit in as collaboration because the cars are mostly the same? There's only minor yeah. differences. Does she become part when you have a weekend like at Barbagallo or or will be at Darwin? No, definitely. So, so Romy is is, is still very heavily involved um, in all of the sort of even the main series um, debriefs and discussions. And um, I just. I just didn't mention her before, but I probably should have. So she, she is, um, yeah, she's still very pivotal, and she's been, she's been really busy this year. So she's been flying, um, not not only doing the Super Two rounds, but flying over to Asia, um, yep. running the um, the GT program over there, or leading the engineering. And she, of course, came from AMG Mercedes, um, where she'd been in the GT program for many years. Yeah, exactly. So she actually was on the development crew, the, um, the development team for for that for the car that they're they're running the the, the GT3 car. So yeah, so she sort of uh, she she knows it she knows it very well, and um, uh, you know she's done a she's done a great job because um, you know stepping up from from being a, a performance or data engineer to then stepping up to a race engineer it it is, it is tough because the the competition is it is good even in Super Two these days. You've got plenty of you know, main series um, teams sort of running cars. You got you got plenty of good um, and pl- you know plenty of good machinery, um, plenty of um, very competent engineering um, people and uh, race engineers and mechanics. So so the level is really really high. Um, so it is quite it is quite hard making that transition. But but Romy's done a Romy's done a really good job. And uh, yeah, she is still very heavily involved in in all of our briefings and um and and also in in helping us uh with our sort of engineering direction david it's fascinating because we spoke to kim jones uh, a couple of weeks ago for an interview and he said the reason they've been so keen on wild cards this year is because it gives a young fella a chance to do some racing in a in a main game car to give them the opportunity to run out on the field for engineers it's um, you know it's almost impossible that you see an engineer yeah. getting a a race engineer role before he's got a race engineer job. How difficult yeah, is that step exactly. up? And you know, and we have previously spoken on occasions where you were thrown in that deep end, step up to what was he then four time, five time champion, um, yeah. and become his boss. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it is tough, and, and that that sort of makes tough of the, the the fact that we have a, a people people restriction rule in our category. So you can only take 
seven performance people um, per car. So it's not like you can say, okay, you know, whoever, um, you can come and, and sort of sit alongside a, one of the existing race engineers for a few race meetings or six months or whatever it might be um, uh, just as a sort of, as a, as a junior race engineer sort of thing. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not that easy because you literally physically can't have those people there. You need, you need every single person who's on that list to be, to be doing a very, very specific role. So it is very hard to get, and we're very limited on testing as well. So we get three test days a year. So it's not like you can just throw over the car to, to someone else for the day um, because you just don't, you, every single second we're on the track is, is, is precious. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's just not, it's just not practical to, to sort of chop and change between race engineers. So it is very, it is very difficult to get, to get race engineering experience, you know, on the, in terms of hands-on race engineering experience. And, and like anything in life, it's one thing watching someone do it for, for many, many years, like I did, you know, I watched, I watched Dutto and JJ race engineer um, for, oh geez, um, around probably eight years or so um, before I, uh, I know, a bit, bit less than that, yeah, six years or so before I became a before I became a race engineer, and um, but it was still um, it was still one of the, the hardest things I've ever done, and and you know I was lucky enough that that I had a um, a, a very very competent driver, um, and, and he made my life um, much much easier, um, and obviously had a, a very good team built around me. You know, Triple Eight was. Had won one champion, had won lots of championships and Bathurst and all that when I become when I become a race engineer and we had very competent people around me. So that's you know that was very very valuable and that's what um, that's what sort of you know got got me going and it would have been um, very very even more difficult um, if it wasn't for all those people around me at the time. So I beg to differ with you, David. It's not good luck that got you there. <laughs> Your good fortune. Yes, certainly good fortune to be there, but good management got you to where you were because of your skill and what you brought to it made you a valuable partner in the thing. One of the things that was made Triple Eight stand out, one of the parameters of your success over the last uh, 10 years, so we could say, um, has been... Uh, linear springs, the way in which the dual springs have been used both front and rear, and that uh, you know it's it's been used as a phrase almost. You could get what you wanted with the dual spring. Now suddenly this year it's all changed, and it's been the big challenge. In fact, the big challenge for every team, but it almost seems a bigger challenge for Triple Eight. Such success with the linear springs now coming back to the single spring. It just seems to have tied one of your hands behind your back. Yeah, I, th- I think it's fair to say that. I mean, look, I think um, you know we're we're very proud that we won we won pre- plenty of championships on um, on dual springs, whether they be front and or rear or, or both. Um, and you know, we we've worked very hard at developing the car around um, around that package. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we were the first team to ever run a, a dual spring, but I, I would be pretty confident to say we were probably one of the first the most successful if not the first and and as you said probably the most successful so um and i guess you know one thing that uh, i think it's i think it's like anything in life you 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 probably don't realize um how valuable something is until it's uh until it's taken away until until it's taken away from you so And look, you know, maybe um you know maybe we underestimated that a little bit or maybe we've just um 
and we didn't quite uh, get the transition right and our car was was quite heavily you know developed all together and and as we sort of said before it's um everything in the car is interrelated you know you end up at a at a at a geom- at a suspension kinematic um because of the uh, uh, the springs that you run and everything is interrelated so all of a sudden we took out a, a very a fairly big part of our car puzzle um and then you know it 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 has meant that we um we have struggled a little bit and i mean look we um you know, it's, it's been a tough year because somewhere we've, we've always had, you know, we, we, we had a shocker. At, I mean, in terms of pure car speed, our worst circuit has been Phillip Island. Actually, everywhere else, I mean, Adelaide, um, we were on we were on the podium. Um, Grand Prix were on the podium. Tassie, obviously, Shane, Shane won a race. Um, Phillip Island, we were definitely, that was our, our weakest circuit and we, 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 didn't do, we didn't do a good job and we didn't have the the tools in our toolbox that we needed to perform well there um and then but from then like perth again we got we got podiums um winton we got podiums so the uh, our other issue this year has just been um has been mistakes we've had um well, know, uncharacteristic engine, mistakes uh, uncharacteristic well. mistakes exactly like look we've had an engine failure which is unbelievably rare you know carry uh, do an exceptional job for us and and that failure was, was just such an such an outlier. Um, we've had, you know, we don't have to mention the the wheels wheels coming off. Um, Jamie had a little tangle with um, McLaughlin, which uh, put us put us out of that first race in Tassie. So, actually, if you if you actually look, at the reason why we're so far back in the championship um, compared to particularly Scotty or you know and, and even the cars is actually because of mechanical failures and a lot less to do with um, a lot less to do with car speed. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, but but that so that's you know that's how we've ended up there. But um, having said that, um, we we feel like we haven't done as good a job as we could have or should have with the transition to from from um, dual to, to single springs, and and we're definitely sort of uh, trying very hard to make that up make that up now. But um, yeah, going going motor racing is. Um, there's a, there's a there's a huge amount of elements that that all contribute to the the result at the end of the day. Car, car setup is definitely very very high and a very very large percentage of that um, of that puzzle. But um, this year it's also been a few other things that have unfortunately cost us um, big big points. After the break, we'll be back with David Couchy for more on his life being a race engineer on Car 88. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do up, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones I'm from the Cool Drive Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. One of the parameters, in fact, that uh, is current ender, um, uh, shock absorbers. Um, uh, you, now, you've been using SACs at least five or six years. 
Yeah, yeah, longer than that, yeah. Longer than that, yeah. Yep. Being the Australian agents, Triple Eight. Exactly, yeah. Now, you know, if it was to go to a control shock, that takes another of the, the parameters of control. Um, do you think that, that that's a good thing for the category? Um, I guess it depends on how you look at it. Um, from an engineer's perspective, um, you, you'd love to have, you know, everything free on, or not at maybe maybe not everything, but you, you, you want to have more freedoms. Um but, of course, the more freedoms you have, um, the more money you need to spend in different areas and, and, and in all those different areas. And, and the reality is that if, if we keep going down the path that, that we're going in terms of the amount of money that we're spending as a, as a category, um, we, we, we might not have all the cars that we see on the grid today. They might not be here in one, two, three, four years. So that, that's, our, that's our reality. And, and, look, we're not the only category in the world going through that transition I think every category that you hear of from Formula One to DTM um, everyone is looking or to NASCAR um, everyone is looking at ways that they can contain costs and and this is just one of them Uh, I mean unfortunately um, cutting costs uh, or sort of going to control spec components like that it costs money initially Um, so obviously if if the, the control damper becomes a sax damper, it will be a different spec to the even the even the people so even the people currently running a sax damper. They would even even those people would have to go and spend money to to convert to the control damper. Let alone the people, you know, and then of course anyone who is who's running an Olins or a Super Shock. So everyone's going to have to go out and spend X amount of money on a new damper. So, but it's at the hope that that will pay back over the next two, three, four years. So. It's a it's it's a necessary evil. Um, do do I want um, more control parts in the category from a, as a as an engineer? No, I don't. Um, but do I do I want more control parts so that we can guarantee that we still have a, a competitive and healthy championship with with twenty six or more cars on the grid in three three or four years time? Then then yes, I do. And, and yes, you know if if that's if that's one way if it's a control damper will mean we've got more cars on the grid and, and more competition on the grid, then, I, then I'm all for it. It's... But we just, um, we have to make sure that we get, you know, we, we, we do it in the right areas because one thing for sure is, is you know, supercar racing is, is some of the best in the world. And um, even though, unfortunately, this year's been a, been a bit one-sided um, and, and we're hoping to uh, work hard and change that and have a bit more um, competitive racing up the front. Um, but, but at the end of the day, the product, the supercar product, the end product is, is exceptional and, and is some of the best racing you'll, you'll watch. Um, and we need to make sure we retain that. Um, you know, anything we do to contain costs, we need to make sure it doesn't harm the, uh, the end product. And that's what's going to be the, the tricky thing for all the teams and supercars to, to work out is what's the best way we can do that. What's the best way we can save some money without, um, without harming the, uh, the product in the racing. I can't remember whether this person told me on or off the record, so I won't say who it was. But a senior (laughs) person, a senior person in the garages, said to me last year, he thought it was probably two years away from teams, and particularly teams like yours, like DJR Team Penske and Tickford. He thought it'd be two years away until we see the F1 model of you have engineers just pouring over all the data that is getting almost live sent back to the team headquarters to be able to go through the information and find those tenths of a second that you're looking for. Have you seen or felt that that was the next step that was going to happen? 
Um, yeah, look, I think, <clears throat> look, that's, that's definitely somewhere where it could go. Um, and, you know, it, it, it depends on, look, there's, there's no question that the, the teams with, with, with more money will, will, will spend that money. And again, that they'll spend it, um, in, in an area where they think it's going to add value. So if they think having, having three or four engineers sitting in a, in a control room back in Brisbane or back in Melbourne, is going to make their car on track go faster, then that's what those things will do. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that that you know, the way things are going at the moment, I think um, the cost of having having that number of people is, is significant. You know, people people salaries are, are a very big um, a very big cost to cost to teams, and you know, having high caliber people costs money. So um, so. Look, I, I'm not sure that that is the that is exactly where it will go, and I'm, I'm not saying there's teams that are already not doing that. Um, that very well might be the case, but um, but that's they're the sort of things that that we need to we need to try and sort of I guess get control and and um, and keep a sort of and keep an eye on because look that I mean those things that's you know Formula One you know I, I love Formula One because I. I and because I appreciate the engineering, um, the racing isn't always that exciting or, or, or that spectacular, but the cars themselves are spectacular, the engineering spectacular, the technology is spectacular, and that's why you watch Formula One, you know, in the back of your head, you know that there's there's another 40 people sitting in a, in a, in a control room in England or, or wherever it might be, you know, analysing all this data, um, and, and I find that, you know, fascinating. Um, you know, does it, does it necessarily, you know, does it mean that much to everybody watching on TV? And, and I don't think, you know, no, I don't think it does. And, and is that what, you know, supercars fans want to, want to see? Not, not necessarily, you know, I think, I think we want to make sure we're spending money on, um, things that are going to make sure that people, you know, people that see people get to the racetrack and, 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 you know, and turn on the TV, um, and watch it and, and watch a very, very exciting racing product. I think that's where we need to make sure we're um, we're spending our money. A colleague of yours uh, had a had a dream, and that dream wasn't to be a supercar engineer necessarily. It was a dream about <laughs> going out and finding out how he rates against the world. And uh, Jeremy Moore, JJ, has certainly yeah. had a uh, a fascinating couple of years. Sure was yeah. was supercars always your dream, or? Do you have some bucket list stuff that you want to do? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, from a you know, as, as a young kid, you, I, I, like I said, I watched I watched that on TV, and, I, and then and then obviously Formula One. They're they're the two categories that I that, that I always followed, um, you know, quite quite closely. More so, probably supercars than Formula One. Um, and, and and look, as, as I just said, I, I find Formula One. Fascinating. Um, I'm, you know, I love the, the the cars and the technology and and just the the resources that that those have uh, available to them, and, and of course the, the money they then spend um, is is quite fascinating. And look, I you know, I, I would love to, to work for a Formula One team or a, or an LMP one team. I mean, Jeremy, as as you mentioned, um, what what he's gone over there and done is. is is quite exceptional. Um, I think he's won two Le Mans. I hope I'm not um, short, short, <laughs> short selling him there. He might have won three. Um, but, you know, it, it, it was great to see because, I mean, that's a guy that I work... I mean, I basically... 
I basically grew up as you know when I turned up here at Triple Eight. Um, I, I knew very little about about motorsport as, as such. You know, you, you come out with an engineering degree, and you, but you, you learn very quickly that you you have a lot more to learn than um, than you already know. So, so you know, I, I grew up um, you know watching JJ race engineer, and and he taught me a lot, and, and, and a big part of the reason why. I have the knowledge I have today is because of people like him, and and it was it was really good to to see him go overseas, um, and and not only just just go overseas, but but actually you know actually dominate and win, and win you know world championships and win win one of the greatest races in the world, um, you know, and that was very satisfying for me to know that you know I've, I've worked alongside that guy, and and I know I know some of the things that he knows sort of thing, and he taught me a lot of things, so. You know, I think that's exceptional. And look, it's it's hard to it's hard to do. And he's he's still over there doing it now um, with a, with his young family, um, and he's still enjoying it. Um, but it is a it is a hard thing to do. It's um it's difficult to, to pick up your life and and go over to another country and and sort of start fresh. But um, look, would I would I like to to work for a Formula One team? Um, yes, yes, I would. No, no question. Am I am I happy? Um, working here at Triple Eight, where I am. Yeah, yes, I am. So it's I, I'm very, very torn um, because look, I love what I do here, and I love I love our sport. Um, I love supercars. And I think it's a, I think it's a great sport. But obviously, there is a there is a bigger, better world out there. Um, you know, and, and I guess the most um, interesting thing is those guys just have a lot more um, resources at their disposal. So you're exposed to look a lot more things. You know, um, as you guys would know. You know, for example, we. We're not allowed to use wind tunnels and shaker rigs, and and um, we, you know, all those things that um, unfortunately you don't get exposed to in supercars because of cost containment reasons and regulations and things like that. You do have those things at your disposal. So I guess if I'm being, if I'd be selfish, you know, I would love to to go over there and expose myself to those kind of tools and those kind of resources that those that those teams have. Um, it would be very, very um, exciting and, and fascinating to see all that. Um, but what we have here is also what I, what I do like about working um, in, a, in a supercar team or an Australian team is, is you are very, um, very involved in a lot of different aspects of the car. So as I said, you're a, you're a race engineer, you're a designer. You know, every now and then you you, you go down and you, you you build a you build a part. You know and and, and you're very hands-on and you get to talk to all your machinists and, and all your guys. You have a really close relationship. So it's, um, look, it's just a very different experience. And I think both of them have, um, you know, um, pros and cons. And, you know, we, we've done some work with um, Sam Michael as well. And, you know, I, I could sit and listen to his stories for days um, because I, I am very fascinated by the world of Formula One. So, yeah, look, I, I, I'd love to, but, um, like, I'm also very happy doing this. Motorsport is all-consuming, and uh, you're amazed, I guess, some days when you get the phone call saying, why aren't you home yet? Or you look at the clock and go, <laughs> it's 7 o'clock and I'm still sitting in the office. But yeah. how do you turn off? Like, you don't have a, a, a car wash where you can go and brew some coffees. <laughs> I know someone who does, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, look, that it is. You're 100% right, it's... It's it's a demanding, it's a demanding job, um, and it, and unfortunately or fortunately, um, there it is all consuming. So you, and you have to give it your all. It, it's a sort of sort of job where if you give it 
if you sort of give it, you know, 90%, like you, you're probably not, you're probably not going to make it. You, you have to give it a, a hundred to, to sometimes 110%, you know what I mean? Or, or, or especially, you know, at, at when, when, when the times get tough, it, it's, it's, you know, 110 to 120%. So to, to make it all up. Um, and it's difficult. There's, there's guys that do it with, you know, they have young kids and, and families and they have to travel away and leave their, leave their young family behind. Um, and then, as you said, and it's not just the, the race weekends, it's back at the factory. Um, we're quite often here, um, you know, for, for long hours, prepping the cars and, um, and all our tools and doing all, all our analysis um, to, to prepare for the next race. So, um, you know, there's, um, there's a big team of people and it's not just us in all teams that, that work very, very hard to, um, to go racing and to, to put on the sort of show that we put on. So it's, um, but, but it is, uh, it, it's very rewarding as well. It's, it, it's just one of those things where it, it can give you the highest of highs. It can, it can, it can kick you pretty hard and give you some of the serious lows in your life too. So, um, but, but overall, uh, you know, it's, 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 I still, I still enjoy it and I still up and, um, hopefully I will do for, for a long time yet. So how do you escape it? How do you how do you trip the circuit breaker? Because you you can be at the workshop and you're just looking at the screen and actually there's nothing going on behind the eyeballs. So how do you trip that circuit break? Get away and and then be able to come back to it. Yeah, no, it is important to um, to sort of have your little uh, your little out. So I mean, I like to try and um, keep a bit fit and healthy, um, whether it be mountain bike riding. There's there's a couple of us here that. They're into that, so we'll, we'll go out on a mountain bike trip, um, doing things like just running, um, going to CrossFit, um, and just, just things like that. So that things that you really need to focus on um, and switch the brain off in terms of, or, or stop thinking about how do we how to understeer to um, you know how do I uh, how do I get down this hill without uh, without hurting myself sort of thing. So those those things those releases are really good. Um, that um, you know just for to de-stress and to to keep your mental health uh, in check. You join your long-time friend Mr Lacroix throwing yourself down hills and mountains don't you? <laughs> yeah well actually the first time I went um, mountain biking with Ludo when I think I was only here for about probably um, oh, less than six months I, uh, I actually broke my hand um, oh. on, on one of his on one of his bikes so he's the one that um, <laughs> yes I've got him to blame um, yeah as we all know he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's one of the biggest lunatics around so Indeed. so um, but yeah he's uh, <laughs> he, he first got me got me on a, on a bike and um, yeah I've still uh, I've done it on and off uh, since um, yeah since then I suppose the fortunate thing is that you don't actually have motors on those bikes so that's a good thing. <laughs> No, exactly. I've, I've stayed away from speed down the hill. I'm leaning. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've, I've stayed away from motorbikes because I, unfortunately, I know where the my, the likely outcome would be if I if I got myself on one of those. I'd, I'd probably hurt myself pretty quickly. One last question I'd like to ask you about, and it's relative to both uh, last weekend's and Winton. Um, a driver taking an evasive route to avoid something. <laughs> and, and I'm really interested, in, and I'm realising it's your opinion of, of a sport that you love and that you follow. What's yours on, on Vettel and the five second? Yeah, look, when I, when I watched it live, um, I, was pretty, um, I was pretty gutted that they gave him a five-second penalty. Um, uh, but I think, you know, I, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I said that, I felt that yes, he made the mistake and he went through the grass. Um, I felt like that when he rejoined, that he probably didn't have too much option. But I think he did gas it up over the grass. 
um, and that's probably what meant that he had that slide um, into the onto the racing line and into Hamilton's path. So, look, could he have um, could he have maybe not gassed it up over the grass and maybe stayed more to the inside? Maybe and probably, um, but he's a racer. And, you know, any, any racer is going to do absolutely anything they can to, to make sure that their, their rival doesn't get past. And, and he made that decision. And look, it was, you know, I mean, borderline dangerous, I guess you could say. Um, because, you know, obviously if Hamilton had kept his foot in it, then, then it would have definitely ended in a crash. Um, so I, at the time, I was just, I think I was pretty upset because I, more so because we were probably robbed of a, of a, a really good battle because I would have loved to have seen Hamilton really have to attack Vettel, um, for the win. You know, obviously once he knew that he had the five second penalty, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't much. It took that away, didn't it? It just did. Yeah. There wasn't much point in, uh, in him, uh, in him attacking Vettel, um, because all he had to do was stay within five seconds of him, obviously. So so, yeah, I think I was more upset from that point of view. By the letter of the law, they probably did the right thing in giving him the penalty, although I definitely would have loved to have seen them not give him the penalty and uh, and let them fight on or race on. Well, thank you very much, David Couchy, race engineer from Triple Eight Engineering, heading to Darwin to enjoy all that goes with it. I imagine you'll be packing your mankini and getting a few minutes under the sun. You know? But thanks for joining me because it's wonderful to get your insight into the world of being a race engineer. It's been great to hear from you and grateful for your time. Not, not a problem, guys. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. Certainly an interesting insight into the world of a race engineer, particularly one who works for a team as large and successful as Triple Eight. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Bet the Cars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back, and we're unlucky to first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Welcome to Inside Supercars, this is Ryan Story from DJR Team Penske. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel. Our final thoughts, Craig. Got anything that we uh, need to open up on in terms of, uh, well, not this weekend, but the following one, we've got Townsville. It's certainly an interesting venue. Yeah, it is, and uh, there's a lot of speculation on whether that event will be moving forward. Uh, At the moment, there's some clouds hanging over events in Victoria and also in Queensland, one of which, of course, is is the Townsville race. It's going to depend on whether the uh, whether the authorities pony up with enough money to keep them there. It will be interesting to see. I'm not sure when the Gold Coast contract expires, but will the Queensland government pick one or the, over the other or will they find the cash for both? What is going to be interesting and what my final thought was, there was a, a guy by the name of John Casey who worked many years at Supercars he left in March to join Foxtel, and uh, news today being Tuesday of uh, the week of uh, last week of June uh, is that he's moved on for personal reasons from Foxtel. So we do um, wish John Casey all the best. Indeed, my final thought revolves around TCR. It's been uh, mooted by some that. Uh 
TCR should we come onto the supercar venue uh, uh, program, but uh, of course that's still to be determined. I think it's highly unlikely it will. I think they'll be happy to stay with where they are in the Shannon's program. Uh, running successfully, it certainly looks likely that the momentum will take TCR into bigger and bolder heights, even with the next venue coming up at Taylor Men. So that's it from Inside Supercars. We look forward to the pre-Townsville and next week's show. Good night from me. And good night from him. Good night. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.